The esports industry is coming to your community and it is coming in hot. As a parent, I've been frustrated as I watch my own kids game for hours on end. But as the saying goes, if you cannot beat them, join them. That is exactly what today's guest, Murphy Vanderveld, did. Along with his kids, Murphy created Helix Esports, and together they have built three sports centers in New Jersey, New York, and most recently at Patriot Place Gillette Stadium in Boston. Where this industry is going and how it is leading the gamification of higher education is absolutely fascinating. This conversation will certainly give you a lot to think about as a parent or entrepreneur. Enjoy the podcast. You know, currently, you're the chairman, uh, board member, CEO on multiple esports organizations. What was the path you took to find esports as an industry yourself? Because it certainly wasn't where you started. So what was the path you took and, and why are you so fascinated by that industry? Well, I think it, it's a, um, I think knowing my past actually will help with how, how I got here. I grew up in the investment management business. Um, you know, I've learned a, a couple of different things along the way, but I think uh, Peter Lynch, who is a legendary um, investment manager um, at Fidelity, who ran the Magellan Fund, used to have a great um, rule for investing is that basically own things that you use and, you know, own things that you consume. And, and when I started looking at what was going around in the world and looking at my kids, my boys specifically, and their friends, what they were doing, how they were spending their time, um, it was so clear to me that esports and traditional sports like hockey, baseball, soccer, basketball were, were on this collision course. Um, and uh, not a collision course in terms of some wreckage or violence, but a collision course of um, becoming intertwined so that the two were really indiscernible um, you know, going forward. And I think COVID, interestingly enough, has had a negative impact on parts of the industry, but um, what it has done is moved the growth curve, in my opinion, and in, in, in our team's opinion, three or four years to the left, meaning the growth curve is still there. It just got accelerated because uh, when traditional sports all got canceled, everybody turned to esports, and we're actually pretty good with that. You know, iRacing took place of NASCAR, NBA 2K, um, not quite the same effect as the, you know, the NBA, but took the place on, you know, you had ESPN. So we saw this trend, you know, I, I saw this trend happening with my, um, with my um, sons and their friends and my, my, my friends, kids, and it was pretty apparent this was a, a really big wave to, uh, to, to be involved in. That's great. And, and can you tell us a little bit more about the companies you're involved with today in terms of what they do? Yeah. So um, we, I'm currently the, uh, the, one of the founders and, and um, uh, chairman of uh, Helix Esports, which has a, uh, a couple of different investments. Um, we own um, uh, two of the largest gaming facilities uh, in the U S um, we're about to announce uh, a, a sports, the Helix Esports Academy, um, uh, at the end of, uh, hopefully by the end of this week or early next, um, we own a couple of, um, different, uh, pro league rosters now that we acquired during COVID. We own a data analytics company and, um, and most importantly, kind of our crown jewel is a company called GG circuit, which owns a, um, the software that connects all of these gaming centers 
across the uh, North America, but actually, you know, globally. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a growing business and uh, we felt the software was a really important uh, connectivity tool to connect all these gamers together. So somewhat forming a little bit of a holding company of different esports properties where you see all the different components connecting. Is that a fair? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, John, we, we, you know, and one word of advice I'll have for anybody out there is really understand where you want to sit in, um, in, in any industry's ecosystem. You know, for us, it was very important where we were, you know, for the first time as, you know, as we looked at the investment thesis around what we were doing, our investment thesis was you had really influential pro team owners um, like the Crafts, like the Gronkies, like the Wilpons um, that were owning teams at the very highest level with no real amateur infrastructure underneath it. And then you had all these gamers in their bedrooms and basements that um, were looking for a place to compete and learn and, and socialize. And so we decided that where we felt there was the biggest void in the ecosystem was where we wanted to to uh, to operate, and that was to create this these these gaming centers, these land centers, if you will, to attract competition, socialization, um, to to build these centers to to get players to come and 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 compete um, and and uh, head to head. And so we built the Helix uh, Gaming Centers. Our first one was in uh, North. Uh, New Jersey. Uh, we just opened one at Gillette Stadium um, in Foxborough. And uh, we've got a couple of smaller um, venues opening up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Murphy, I'm curious as a young entrepreneur, when you were just starting off, what was your mission at that point? And now as a more mature entrepreneur and having multiple businesses, how has it changed what your mission is? Uh, I think the simple the simple answer for that one is uh, is 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 focus. Um, you know, when I was younger, and you started investing in different things, it was idea after idea, and it was you know, you'd try to get in front of a trend or you'd be involved in a trend. But you know, as I as I've gotten older, you as when you're younger, you realize that there's so many different opportunities that you know, like a kid in a candy store, and and if you're creative and entre entrepreneurial spirit, you can take advantage of a lot of different things. But quite often, that be, you know, the, all those things become a distraction, and it's and it's and it's very hard to focus on one thing. So, in our core, um, at our core, as an older entrepreneur, um, getting involved. In, I did say in, more mature, Murphy. More mature as, as a more mature <laughs> entrepreneur, it really is about focus. It it was you know creating the mission statement, creating and understanding where we wanted to fit in the ecosystem, and then just focusing on that part of the ecosystem and not deviating from that and being really disciplined. And I think that's, you know, and, and, and look, as, as a younger, as a younger entrepreneur, um, you know, obviously people can be very, very successful. It's just about discipline and focus. And I think that's one thing I've learned over the years is how to get more disciplined and more focused on exactly what the task is and what the goal is at hand. You have an example of a time where you were maybe not as disciplined as you could have been and uh, can you maybe bring us through a, a touch of that story and how that impacted you and what you might have done differently? Well, I think, you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think one of the, you know, as you go through different phases of your life and, and as being an entrepreneur and then having been as an entrepreneur, uh, having one of my 
companies bought by a larger company, you get caught into the bureaucracy of a, of a corporate world and, and whether it's from, you know, non-competes or, or contractual obligations that you're involved and you try to keep on growing a, your business, your vertical inside of a bigger enterprise, um, you lose control over your day to day. And one of the things when I semi-retired and started, you know, doing a lot more stuff on my own again, esports being one, the one thing that I've learned is, is how important it is to take control of your day. Um, and not let other people dictate your day. Uh, meaning, you know, and, I, and that goes from like what time you get up in the morning to when you work out to, you know, what you do first thing in the morning. You know, I used to, um, I used to check emails in the morning uh, and see what's going on and check the world out. And, and now I realize that by doing that, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, now I spend the first half an hour or hour of my day really planning out my day from things that happened in the previous day or that I know that I had on my calendar for the week. Um, when you're answering emails or reflecting on other people's emails, you're letting them dictate your day and your, your schedule and your thought process. And so for me, it's very important to start my day off on, and this is something again, I've learned over the years of not letting other people dictate how I'm going to think about the day or, or, or deal with the day. I still have to have a game plan. It's like, you know, a coach for, for a, um, a professional sports team, you have a game plan. It doesn't mean you don't deviate it from it, you know, and, and adapt from time to time, but you really have to go into every day with your own game plan. Murphy, um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was focus was one of the biggest things that, you know, as you learned going through your career was very important to you. But one of the things that I think is extremely special with yourself as well is not only did you move to an industry that you saw your kids being passionate about, you actually got involved in the industry with your kids. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's something very fascinating about that, which is not only are you mentoring them along the process, you're also creating a legacy with your family in terms of being in business with them and spending a lot of time with them and leaving them something as well that they continue to be entrepreneurial with. And talk to us as, as entrepreneurs in terms of the value of, instead of going to work 100 hours a, a week you know, in something down in the basement, and coming up for dinner, you know, the time you're spending with your family and how much value that brings to you. <laughs> well, John, it's a, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. It's fantastic. And I, and I, and I love working with my uh, son and the team that we've developed. We have something, my, both sons, sorry. Um, we have an incredible team. Um, I think the hardest thing to do is, is to divide and conquer. And each of us is good at different things. And we have to make sure that we stay in our lanes. Um, you know, coming with that though, also is the issue, you know, dealing with family that it, that, that the, the day never ends, you know, it's not a hundred hours a day. It's 24 seven. It's, it's the dinner table. And, and unfortunately the whole family gets dragged in with it sometimes. And, you know, little sister who doesn't care about esports all of a sudden has to listen to those conversations at the dinner table. But, you know, being a, being a, being a mentor and, and being kind of a player coach has been really fun for me and, and rewarding for me because I, I, I get a help with direction, but let, let these guys really take their passion um, and, and, and run with it day to day and take their creativity day to day. You know, I mean, let's be real. It's a, it's a, it's a young person's industry um, and they don't need to be uh, the, the, 
the whole passion and, and, and vision doesn't have to be uh, dictated, you know, by an old entrepreneur. Sure, sure. So wh where is this whole industry going? What, what do you see over the next five to 10 years relative to where maybe other countries are in this industry? Where, where, where do you see the path is and where are we going with these sports? Well, if you look at the major leagues, if you look at, you know, going back to what, you know, what the crafts and the Wilpons, um, the Cronkies they invested in they're you know these pro pro level teams which is you know which is Overwatch you know League of Legends um, it's most you know a predominant uh, you know most of the players are are Southeast Asian and, and and more specifically a lot of them are 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 South Korean it's because it's been ingrained in their fabric as a society that this you know that esports is is almost their national sport if you will and and uh, and um, we haven't gotten there as a um, as as a culture yet in the U.S. Um, I believe that we will be there in 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 probably you know ten to twelve years. Um, I think along the way um, we'll evolve differently. You know our our cultures are different, our spacing, our values are different. But but I think when people look at how the New York Yankees play the Boston Red Sox and how Babe Ruth was you know a, a hometown you know, product and, and you, you know, you look at, you know, the same thing with, you know, how football teams were, or any, look at the, you know, the original NHL teams, they were all homegrown local kids. That's not happening in esports. They're, you know, they're, they're mercenaries right now being hired away from other places. And, and we believe that the fabric and the culture for fans to really become, um, uh, to identify uh, gamers, to identify as, as fans, um, and, and, you know, esports team enthusiasts, they really have to identify with the players. And a lot of times that's going to come from an academy system. It's going to come from local players that rise up the level from, you know, single A to double A to triple A to the major leagues, you know, using a, a baseball analogy. Murphy, we all know as a business owner, in order to get our unfair share of uh, market share in our space, we have to have a differentiator. And that's what allows us to not just split the pie evenly with our competitors. I'm curious, what is your differentiator versus other esports uh, competitors you have, and how did you go about selecting that as a differentiator? Well, I think you know it's, it's a great question. I think the differentiating factor for us is the size of our facilities. You know, there's you know there's currently um, hundreds, if not a thousand gaming centers in the US, uh, but the average size of, of one of these land centers is about uh, 26 stations. Um, we wanted to have a much different experience. We didn't want a dank, dungy, you know, X internet cafe as our, as our model. Um, we want to have something that is sleek, that is much larger, typically around 100, uh, 100 stations that has food and beverage, that have liquor licenses, that have, you know, uh, separate room for birthday parties and and, and private events. Um, we kind of look at it at you know what what Top Golf did for driving ranges, which is you know not a you know not exam exactly a glamorous industry, um, but Top Golf created an incredible experience around being at their locations. And and what our team has done, I think, and what's a differentiating factor for us is the experiential part of 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 what we do it at our centers. Um, and that's from socialization to, you know, again, the food and beverage to the types of machines to the atmosphere, et cetera. And I think that's a, that, that 
ultimately, like you have in, in, in Southeast Asia, um, uh, where you have thousands and thousands of these types of gaming centers and they become commoditized, we don't believe that experience can be, will ever be commoditized. Yeah. Murphy, I, I think one of the opportunities that I'd like to explore further when you talk about where it's going over the next 10 to 20 years and combined with Rich's question about differentiation is where esports is meeting education, number one. And then number two, you talked about the Helix Esports Academy and the, the value of potentially getting more infused with the young population in terms of, hey, th this is a game you can play in your basement or this is a game you can actually use to learn life lessons, help propel you to higher levels of education and careers. Talk to us a little bit about the Helix Esports Academy and how education and esports are also colliding. Yeah, so the, esport, the, the, the Helix Esports Academy was actually um, something that, that, we, that evolved out of uh, some of the programming that we were doing. And then, you know, John, it's, it's through people like yourselves that, um, you know, we're going to take it to the next level with. But, but, but effectively, as a business owner, when I look at the investment that we've made in the centers, um, at all of our centers, um, you know, and we're open from, let's say, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon till, you know, till midnight on average on a given, any given day. That means that from midnight until 2 p.m. the next day, all of our um, equipment, you know, which is a significant investment in hardware and, and, and physical plant, uh, is not being utilized. So as a business person, I just wanted to make sure that we were getting maximum utilization out of our investment. And when we started looking at some of the simple pieces around that, education uh, came up again and again and again. And so we started, uh, we made an investment in a, um, a, a uh, esports education company that had curriculum that was, you know, based on um, state education requirements for you know science math uh, public speaking you know different you know t different 21st um century skills and they had kind of gamified that curriculum and we found that very interesting because we feel like that's just a trend that's going to happen in our in our uh in our society is kids learn differently but they gain more and how gaming is affecting how their their, their learning habits and so we also believe that it it uh makes learning a little bit more fun and they don't even realize that they're learning certain things while they're playing certain games. So that was, that was part of the genesis of it. And then as we got more mature in the process, we did a, some pilot programs for the state of New Jersey, started working with some higher, you know, some colleges. There's a, there's a, a hundreds of colleges today that are giving esports scholarships and we've, and, and we have been approached by them as a recruiting mechanism, but, but also we saw the skills that they were looking for, were STEM related. Um, those are the kind of players and students they were looking for. So we felt that we could use our our locations as um, you know as a magnet for 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 both. Now for the academy specifically, it's a it's a you know an, uh, an, a natural uh, progression of of intertwining esports with traditional sports, whether it be hockey at first or or you know soccer. The soccer academy models where you are bringing kids together that you know that are like-minded that in, enjoy playing esports that might not be the best you know they might not be six ten and and a great three-point shooter or or you know six foot two two hundred and you know skate like the wind it, you know it, they're just a different skill set 
the greatest thing about it though is that I, is that we believe that that esports is the great equalizer in regards to gender race religion it it doesn't care about your politics it doesn't care where you're from it's basically the best the best person with a certain demonstrable skill set is going to succeed and that to, to me now as the old guy you know in in the room and 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 on on my team is to is as i look at some of the uh inequalities in our society today um i look at esports as the great equalizer and so what we're trying to do is you know and i and i use this term i don't use this term lightly is 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 creating equitable access for all gamers to learn and play on the same platform and then truly let the best skilled person male female whatever let let them succeed and let and let their skills really come to the top you know you mentioned uh, a minute ago or so maximum utilization uh, i think that's an important concept for business owners and entrepreneurs to grab onto what are some of the things as somebody some of the listeners here maximum utilization they go ooh i want that uh, what should someone consider when they're looking at what they currently have and how to move that to maximum utilization and what you learned in doing that? Well, I think that, you know, I think you have to understand your industry and you have to understand what the net impact is um, of, of trying to do different things. Um, you have to understand who your partners are and who the other stakeholders are. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you have to take some risks and, and, and try different things. If you're, you know, our business model in, in the U S for example, utilization at a, the average facility, you know, in, in terms of number of days open, number of machines that you have, number of stations, number of hours uh, in a day that you're open. Um, you have to figure out how you can maximize that in, in, in our industry. It's probably in the mid teens, low to mid teens for total utilization, but in other parts of the world like Europe, they're in the, they're in the, the high 20% utilization. And in, um, in, in parts of Asia, they're, you know, north of 60% utilization. So how do you get that there? Some of them are just natural consequences of, of consumer behavior. Some of them you can, you know, you know, redirect on your own and, 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 and create partnerships and, and, but, at the end of the day, it's really, it's your gut. Um, some of it's your gut and some of it's your um, intuition and some of it's just trying and failing. It's, it's kind of saying, hey, I think this is gonna work. And you know, you, know, you, have to, you have to look at the risk reward about what it's gonna, you know, if you're gonna change a little bit a certain part of your business model, how much time is that gonna take? How much money is that gonna take? But, but you know, is, that, is the reward there? Um, and I think, you know, coming from the investment management business, you always have to learn how to cut your losses when, when you're not right, when you don't see it working, doesn't mean completely give up, but if the market's telling you something that even if you don't believe in it, sometimes you have to listen to the market. doesn't mean you just quit altogether. You just may have to kind of come at it from a different angle, but, um, I think you have to sometimes, you know, you have to cut your losses, take risks, but know when to cut your losses. Also, Murphy, I think when you talk about max utilization, you know, there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs or, or people, I'd say, you know, between the ages of 
maybe 35 to 55 don't quite fully grasp yet. And I'm, I'm putting myself right in that bucket, right? Everybody loves artificial intelligence, but they're not really sure how it's going to help their business or what it's going to do. Uh, a lot of people understand esports, not really sure where it's going or what, you know, I thought that was video games. They don't really quite understand it. But there's another component that you guys are, are really investigating with your, you know, equipment and, and uh, max utilization is crypto mining. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think it's completely fascinating when you told me the story about, you know, yeah, some of you may not be sitting there playing on this computer, but this computer is actually working uh, at the same time. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what crypto mining is and in and, and general yeah. and, and how that works? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, years ago, you know, coming from the investment management business, I thought the whole crypto world was fake and, and, um, and, and unsustainable at the levels that it was going at. And, and, and yet, um, when prices came down significantly, um, and then we started making these investments in our, in these computers. And, and even if we were, you know, if we close at midnight and even if we were doing STEM programming at, you know, and with, with education stuff at eight o'clock in the morning, we still had an eight hour window with some significant technology that was not being utilized. So it just made sense that we would, we would do this. And, you know, one piece of advice on this note that I would, you know, you know, when you're, when you're looking at just thinking outside of the box, it's, you know, you want to use technology to, you know, to help you succeed. You don't rely on it to succeed. And, you know, I think one of the things that we have on our team and, 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 and it's one piece of advice that I, you know, I'd give any young entrepreneur is don't hire a lot of people like yourself. Uh, don't hire them, you know, Oh, they remind me so much of me. I, you know, I'm going to hire that person. You know, a lot of times that's that, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, you want people who think differently, who come up with different ideas, um, who will give you different points of perspective. And, and in that vein, um, you want to use their talents to make life easier for you. Back to the crypto, you want to use technology to make life easier for you and, and, and utilize. So, you know, we had some people on our team that, that, that had recognized the opportunity and said, hey, some of these currencies have moved back to a level of profitability um, that we can mine and, and, and do this. And so we use some of our data analytics talents and tools to, to then create some automatic um, processes that now allow us to do it when the, so when the machine shuts off, even during the day, um, if someone's not using it, uh, it's mining and it knows where the price of the currency is, whether it be Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or the like to what our electricity costs are versus what the wear and tear on the PCs are. And, you know, again, it's just having somebody on your team understand what moves the needle here um, and, and what are the impact, you know, what were the major impacts on, on that business line? You said don't hire people like yourself. I'm curious in your selection process of hiring people, do you have a particular assessment that you rely on to determine if they're not like you or is it like how do you go about going yep this person isn't like me but that's okay that's going to be a value and i have a vision for how that plays like how does that all work out well so that's a, you know again this is one of the things I, I think you learn as you get older when i was younger i would have hired people just like me because I feel like they're trainable and I, they'll think like me and they'll behave like me. I can train them. And they're good like looking me. and they're smart. Yeah, and right. they're <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse Itzler, who's a, you know, a 
famous entrepreneur um, had a really interesting comment in, in one of his speeches or, or articles that I read. And it's basically, um, and I didn't read this until I got older in life. It's basically hire people to make your life easier and hire people for a very specific job. And when you, when you look at hiring someone like yourself, um, you have to ask yourself, would I be happy doing that job? Mm. And a lot of times the answer is no. Um, and so you've, if you wouldn't do it and you think that person's like, is like you and reminds you of yourself from personal characteristics or personality characteristics, what makes you think that they're going to like doing that job? And if they don't like doing that job, they're probably not going to do it well. So I think it's really important to hire people for a very specific function and know what that job description is. And again, I, we don't get it right all the time, but when we hire somebody now, it's not, Hey, that person shares our values and will be, you know, just like we are. It's actually to the contrary. We're, we're, we're hiring people that are very, very different than, than, than I would be, or my sons would be. And I think that's been a great compliment because they have a different skill set. They bring a lot more to the table and they do their, they do the job that they were hired to do and they are making life easier for everybody else. And I think that's a really important thing is, is you hire people to make your life easier. And if you're hiring somebody that's not making your life easier or work easier, you've got to make a change. So Rich, one of the things that uh, Murphy and I were talking about prior to this call, and I've learned about over the past year or so, it fascinated me was where higher education is going, right? And where higher education is going is how can we bring in students that are proficient in artificial intelligence, virtual reality, crypto mining, engineering, software design, programming, I can go on and on and on and on. And where the majority of that population exists that is learning about technology and how to use technology it are really the same audience and population that is attracted to esports and e-gaming. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's about 150 or 170 colleges right now in the U.S. that provide really strong scholarships to bring that level of student into their educational platform. So then where do you go to high school? So now high schools are looking at that going, okay, we got to do more coding. We got to gamify everything that's going on. And that's, I think the genesis of where Helix Esports Academy is going is we want to go to parents who are maybe frustrated that their kids playing Fortnite for eight hours a day and say, Hey, don't get frustrated by that. Let's, let's empower that. Let's empower that love of technology, but also provide the education that's going along with it. So I've been really fascinated about where education is going and and it's changed my psyche as a parent who's getting mad that my kid's playing, you know, eight hours of video games and thinking more about, okay, how can now he take that energy and put it into maybe a club where he's getting coached and developed, not only on how to be proficient at that game, but all the skills and what the industry can provide. And I can go even deeper to that, uh, Murphy, you know, you think about the U.S. military and they're flying drones. Do they want like a former football player controlling the drones or they want the, you know, the pro uh, esports player who can make a split second decision with a joystick on what to do. And it's just very fascinating to me where this is all going. No, John, you're, you're absolutely right. And I sat on a panel with uh, General Muth, who's in charge of um, the uh, charge of recruiting for um, the U.S. Army. And interesting enough, Army esports actually 
falls under his chain of command. And uh, the amount of recruiting they do around esports today is is really significant. And and their success rate with those uh, candidates is much higher than an average person who's enlisting. So, um, no, it's it's having it's having very real impact on on how people work. And and you know, the the really interesting thing of what other people are doing in the industry. And and and, and I don't think the general public really knows this is even Epic, you know, who's the publisher of Fortnite has created the, 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 the found foundation of the language of which it, that Fortnite was written on was the unreal engine. And the Epic has taken the unreal engine and basically released it for free to the world for people just to create. And I use free loosely, um, but they've, you know, released it free to the world to have people create, other platforms on top of their platform. So you have live CGI, you have uh, AI, you have different learning platforms, you know, virtual reality platforms that are all being built around the Unreal Engine, which just happened to be what, what Fortnite was built on. And, and, um, and, and it will become a significant learning platform um, in the future just because people understand it and it's so easy to use. It's not like, You've got to go, you know, be a computer science uh, major in, at a, at, you know, at a at a significant university. You can actually learn it by by playing games and then, you know, and and then watching a couple of YouTube videos. And I'm not exaggerating. Murphy, what's something that you've learned recently, uh, as it relates to being a business owner, that really gives you a lot of energy? that you're excited to put to use in the near future. And it's something you've learned relatively recently. Oof, that's a, uh, that's a great question. I think, um, I think it would have to be, it would come on, it would, it would fall into the category of what's happening with the unreal engine and seeing its applications. Um, one of them, you know, as John was talking at the beginning of this broadcast uh, of uh, with live CGI, um, we have an investment in a company that um, creates studios, avatars, creates worlds where um, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Ready Player One. It's a Steven Spielberg movie that is really a must watch for anybody getting into the esports world. Um, but it, it basically is Ready Player One brought to life today. And, um, and watching what these guys do and all the applications, it's really, it just, it just blows your mind. Um, what, what costs are for, you know, you look at Iron Man and all the CGI that costs hundreds of millions or, you know, the movie Avatar that was caught, that cost billions of dollars to make is now, you know, motion capture suits, which were 40, $50,000 just two or three years ago are now, you know, less than a thousand dollars and they can do about 90% of what these old, um, what these, these, uh, this older technology could do. So it's, it, to me, it just blows my mind. You see the democratization and, and, and as people get access to this technology, what they can do with it. And it's, it's just incredible and, and a lot of fun to watch, but it's just, it's mind blowing. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the live CGI piece of this or the, CGI in general, I think, is is going to have a uh, significant place in in the industry going forward. 
Murphy, I don't want to sound like COVID has had an impact on my well-being here by asking this question, but I, I have heard or read few articles that ultimately we're going to live in these worlds, these virtual reality worlds to go do our shopping, to go do whatever. Uh, is that realistic? Is that ultimately where we're going? Well, again, if you look at, again, you really have to see the movie uh, Ready Player One. It's just, it's first of all, it's a good movie. Um, uh, not going to win any Academy Awards, but it's a, but it's it's a it's a very entertaining movie. Um, that yeah, th this is the place where people are going to are 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 going to to live. And and the great thing about it is, people get to choose who they want to be, um, not who they are. And and while that you know that might sound a little bit strange, it there takes away all the institutional impact of 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 you know race, gender. Um, politics. It basically, you go to you. You create the person that you want to be, where you want to be, and how you want people to perceive you. And in education, I find it fascinating because, you know, I think there's there's a lot of institutional biases that that get in the way of learning. For example, um, and I'm and I'm saying this, you know, was this was a story given to me, or or it was a, a scenario given to me by someone in the New Jersey Department of Education. How much credibility does a 55-year-old white guy have in a uh, second grade class in the inner city where 80% of the kids are Hispanic and the other 20% are, are, are African-American? Probably not a lot. And, and yet, through an avatar, you could actually teach those same kids in a, in a gaming learning environment where they're not threatened. They don't feel like they're being talked down to. They feel like they're being immersed and they have something they can identify with that person. And therefore learning takes on a completely different tenor. And I think that's kind of, you know, one of the opportunities here, you know, there is some fantasy unreal, you know, feel about it, but I feel, you know, but there is, there are some practical applications that could be very, very powerful. You know, the, the world I find is changing very quick. I think COVID may have accelerated a lot of things, whether it be education or esports or just business in general and how we conduct things. And a lot of entrepreneurs or people that have been working as an entrepreneur within a company are looking to maybe change career paths or look at something new. And as you look at on the horizon, all of these things we've been talking about today, you know, really is the future of where the world is going here. How would one go about learning more about not just esports, but they had a passion for AI or they had a passion for virtual reality or crypto mining or whatever it may be. I mean, it's a big step to take to change your career path in medical device sales or in insurance or whatever and, and take a leap of faith here. But how, how would you go about the educational process? Is, are there books you should be reading or conferences you should be attending or just the, you know some sites on the web and do research? Or certainly they're going to listen to the movie after this, after this plug. But what, what are the things you'd recommend? One of, one of my partners, <laughs> um, who I think is one of the smartest guys in esports, has written this book called The Book of Esports. It was just released a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, not to plug it too much, but it's a great place to start because it'll give you a very good foundational understanding, educational foundational understanding of, of the esports industry and what makes certain things tick. I think podcasts like this, I think listening to industry podcasts are really important because you're going to start hearing people's opinions that, that really might strike something. You know, I, the internet's so, I hate to use this word, the internet's so littered with 
bad opinions and, and, you know, one-off articles, you don't know how, how people are biased. You know, I think listening and learning is the most important thing, you know, virtual conferences, going to conferences when they're back in, in person, I think are really important um, part of the learning, learning process. But um, I think listening to people who succeed is the most, in, is the most in, 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 in important part of this. And, and uh, um, you just have to f sift through a lot of the noise and figure out who are the right people to listen to. And that's sometimes very hard to do for some people. And, and for some people, it's really easy to do. You had said uh, listening to people who succeed or learning from them. Can you tell us, what do you attribute your success to? <laughs> you know, hard work. I mean, you know, just, just putting in, putting in the time, putting in the hours, um, you know, being relentless, um, knowing when to pivot, knowing when to redirect, but, you know, um, but just, you have to have a vision and an idea and you got to go for it. And, and then you really just got to put the work behind it. It can't, it can't be a hobby. If it is, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Um, and, you know, not everyone gets that opportunity and, you know, and, and, you know, obviously it's harder to do later in life, but for a younger person, especially in a day of age today where there's so much adversity in the, in the workforce, um, you know, there's, you know, you just, if you have a good idea, you just got to figure out how to bootstrap it together and then put it together and, and then, and then just work hard at it. And someone's going to take notice. If it's a good idea and a good concept, somebody will take notice. Awesome. Murphy, I'm excited to work with you on the Helix Esports Academy uh, model that we've been talking about. I believe we have a launch date of October 1st. Uh, we're going to launch our first center in Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, can you tell us in closing a little bit uh, more about, you know, why you, Jack, and Murphy Jr. are excited about this Helix Esports Academy uh, model, um, you know, in partnership with Helix Esports? Well, I think it's the, I, I think it's the embodiment of a lot of the values that we have um, as a family, but also uh, as importantly um, as a, as a company in our mission. And it's to, you know, our moniker is kind of, you know, esports for everyone. And, and we're trying to bring uh, the entertainment factor of esports into every community because it doesn't really exist here in the U.S. like it does in other parts of the world, but also the educational um, component and, and really blend and, and really blend the, the the two together, and give every chance every kid an opportunity to use this equipment to to be in this environment to succeed, and that is fundamental to what our mission statement is. And um, the academy piece of this, as we try to help kids develop and progress, you know, just like, you know, John, you've done this for hockey and soccer, you know, we, we, you know, as of, as of I, we believe in, 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 in that model and um, it has not been done here in the U S and, and, um, and if, if it's been done, it's not been done well or on scale. And, and we feel there's a huge opportunity to, to, uh, you know, to go into these communities with smaller footprints to feed into these larger hubs of Helix esports centers that we have to create tournaments and events and, and camaraderie and um, a sense of, of belonging in the esports community. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for your time today, Murphy. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I, I need to read a book. I need to watch a movie. I had a lot of homework to do. <laughs> I encourage anybody listening to this as well. 
getting up to speed on what's going on out there in all these different segments we talked about today is a huge sharpening, sharpening of the saw moment for everybody. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Rich, you grab some stuff from this as well. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, look forward to, uh, to digging into some of this stuff. So thanks a lot for your time, Murphy. Thanks. All right. Thanks guys. Have a great day.